Uh, it's great to see you uh, this week as we join again to, to continue on in our series in Philippians. And um, just to let you know, next week we'll be joined by uh, Phil Dunn from EMF. Um, so uh, he'll be coming to share a little bit of an update from the European Mission Federation, um, as well as bringing God's word. Uh, so please do come ready to hear uh, from God through Phil next week. That would be wonderful. Um, but as I said, today we're going to continue on in our uh, series in Philippians, and we are going to be finishing chapter 3 today, uh, and actually beginning chapter 4, but um, finishing chapter 3. And, and as we do, uh, let, me, let me begin by asking a question. I wonder, I wonder who you would say has acted as a role model in your life? Um, maybe it's been a parent, a grandparent, another family member, maybe who's, who's really had an impact and an influence on you. Uh, maybe it was a sports coach or, or a teacher or a youth leader or a, a work mentor or, or someone who maybe even has had that position of uh, supervising you and you have felt the benefit of their influence on your life. And maybe it's actually been someone who's had an impact on your life who you've never even had the privilege of meeting in person. Um, maybe an author, maybe someone from history. Um, but they've become a, a role model in, of sorts for you due to their lifestyle, their work, their influence on on your life and and perhaps that's an influence that, that you were aware of or maybe even an influence that you sought out you know you, you have watched someone and said I, I, I value the way they are living life in that way and I want my life to echo that and mirror that and so I'm gonna intentionally seek to follow them or perhaps it's actually only now as you look back over a season of life or over all of life and you see how much of an imprint someone else has had on on your life and how much they've shaped you and that can happen in, in any area of our life. But I wonder if you're a Christian this morning, I wonder who you would say has had the biggest impact on your faith, um, other than Jesus Christ himself, of course. Um, which brother or sister in the Lord has had a, the biggest impact in your faith? Someone that you've looked up to, someone who's, in, in your mind, certainly set an example of faith, of Christian faith. They have set an example that's been worthy of following. Someone that you've looked at, someone that you've spent time with and thought, yes, I, I want to follow Jesus in that way. I, I want to understand scripture like they do. I, I want to pray with the same passion that they do. I want to share Jesus with the boldness and ease that that person seems to, and so on and so on. And I hope you have someone in your life like that, uh, someone who's had an influence on you. And because of their influence on you, you now follow Jesus more faithfully. Um, but perhaps this whole idea of following the example of someone else, another human, uh, fills us with caution. And um, maybe that's caution because we, we certainly don't want to follow that person more than we follow Jesus. We don't want that person to become the, 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 the goal, the, the aim. Uh, we certainly don't want that person to detract us from following Jesus. And so let's just follow Jesus and keep on the right path that way. Or, or maybe the caution is that, that we know all too well that as soon as we hold someone up as an example and um, they're likely to fail us in some way and uh, they have huge potential to let us down maybe the, the closer that we watch them we then realize goodness they are they are more normal more human uh, more like me than, than i hoped for and so actually their example wasn't worthy of following and so we're cautious to do so and that caution i think is 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 good in some ways we'll see today from the passage that of course we should be careful whose example we follow in the faith but actually the passage shows that we should be careful in the example that we follow because we should follow the example of faithful ones who have gone before us. Uh, we should follow the example of those who are following Christ. 
those who are more mature in the faith than I am or you are presently. Uh, and that example of doing that, of, of following someone further down the faith journey, more mature in the faith, not even by age, but certainly by in, in their relationship with Jesus, that is a good and biblical one. Uh, it's certainly one of the things that Paul wants to encourage the church in Philippi with um, as he gets towards the end of his letter. Uh, and it's something that we're going to look at today. So please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 17. And we're going to go through and take in the first verse of chapter 4 as well. So Philippians 3, uh, starting at verse 17. And you'll see straight away uh, this call to an example. Philippians three seventeen. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And Father, we pray that as we read, as we examine, as we study and spend time in your word, Lord, would you speak powerfully and would you change and transform us by your spirit, we pray, and help us as we seek to follow you more faithfully. Amen. So, so Paul exhorts the Philippian church and the believers in Philippi to follow his example and the examples of those who are living like they were. Uh, and Paul's been showing us throughout the, this letter the kind of Christian life that he himself is striving to, li to live, and therefore the example that he's setting, that he's now encouraging us to, and the, the readers in Philippi to follow. For instance, we could look back over this whole book and, and learn from Paul's example and how he prays at the start of chapter 1. We can look and see how his passion for the gospel, which has come through time and time again, we can see his desire to be with Christ, which is better by far that we saw last week. How he joyfully endures suffering, how he, his confidence for salvation is placed firmly on Jesus Christ. And, and all of these wonderful truths that, we, that we've seen Paul explain of his own understanding of, uh, and of the truth of the gospel and the impact that that gospel has made on his life. Paul has already set up for us his, the example of his life as how he is striving towards the, uh, the goal, which is Christ. Um, and all of those things build to what we saw last week, where we saw that Paul was explaining there was one thing that he was doing in his Christian life. Do you remember this from verse 13? There's one thing, brothers and sisters, there's, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, this is verse 13 of chapter 3, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. See, the example that he set is one of pressing on to Jesus. He's already said, remember earlier in chapter 3, I want to know Christ. And then in verse 8, everything else is lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I want to press on. This is the example that Paul has set in what it means to live a life faithfully following Jesus. And then he says in verse 17, join together, therefore, in following my example. And what an example it has been to be followed. But, but just in case we're there's any risk of us misunderstanding Paul's invitation and, and, and seeing here any sense of arrogance or pride in Paul. 
as if Paul is setting him out, himself up and saying, look guys, I've got this Christian life sorted, follow my example. No, he doesn't say that at all. Do you remember back in verse 12 and again in verse 13? Verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal. The ESV there says, or I am already perfect. Paul knows that he feels regularly in his following of Christ. Again, he said in verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul understands his limitations as a follower of Jesus still living in this world. But he has clearly also shown that the process of living a life as a Christian is one of growing more and more in Christ-likeness. As someone has said that it's about the direction you're traveling, not just the destination you arrive at. So it's the, it's the bend of your life. It's the striving of your heart. It's the process that you're in. That's what's the, the example that Paul is setting here. He's not saying that he's arrived. He's not saying he's perfect. He's not saying that he has nothing to learn or no progress to make. But he has an example to follow because he's striving. He's striving to get there. He's striving after his Lord. And Paul makes this so clear in his letter to the church in Corinth. In, in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says clearly, For my ex Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Or the ESV renders that, Follow or be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, Paul is encouraging the church of Philippi. And therefore, God, through his eternal word, is encouraging us and saying, follow passionate followers of Jesus who are passionate about Jesus. Follow those who are following the example of Christ. Paul knows that, that the only reason he is worthy of following is because of who he is following. He's not suggesting that his own life by his ability is worth imitating. No, it is because that he is seeking to live a life striving and sold out for Jesus. And therefore, others can imitate the same kind of surrender he has to his Lord. So Paul's example and Paul's command here almost, or certainly the invitation to follow my example, is not in any way look closely at my life and base your life on exactly every way that I do my life. No, he's saying, follow me because I'm following Christ. One commentator has said, Paul's example draws us upward. That's the point. Paul's saying, I'm searching my whole life. Remember last week, I press on, forget what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal. So follow me as I'm looking this way. It's not ever, follow me and look at how great I am. No, follow me because look at my Lord. And so if I was to go back to the beginning, I wonder the second half of that quotation, I wonder is that helpful? Those who pursue Christ will produce those who pursue Christ. That's what our Kent Hughes um, suggests here. And so to go back to that question at the beginning, I wonder if you can see that reality in your life as you have seen the example of faithful followers of Jesus. And because of how they pursue Christ, it encourages you in your pursuit of Christ. By how they pursue Christ, you now pursue him more faithfully because of the example that they have set. And what a good gift that is of God for us, isn't it? That, that, that's the, the crux of Paul's heart here in this, in this compulsion in verse 17. He wants the, the Philippians to follow him because he's following Christ. He's not seeking an empire for himself. He's not seeking to be the most popular apostle. No, no, no. He's focused on Christ and he wants the Christians elsewhere to have that focus too. So follow me as I follow the example of Christ, as he said to the Corinthians. 
Paul realises as well, as we see from verse 17, that he's not the only one living this faithful life. There are many others setting this good example. So verse 17 continues. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Or that term live could be considered walk. Walk in the manner worthy of the gospel, as the ESV says of chapter 1 verse 27. And it's the same here. Look at how we walk. Look at how we follow Christ. And then seek to follow that example too. Um, Whether Paul is talking here about Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, you might remember them from the end of chapter 2, these great examples as he holds up as of humble servants of Jesus. Um, Or maybe he's thinking of other believers that he knows in Philippi, those who are faithfully following Christ. Uh, I I don't necessarily think it matters. Paul's saying, as you have seen in us, follow those who are seeking to walk like we are. In other words, watch the walk of those around you who claim to follow Christ and follow the faithful ones. Follow the faithful ones. And I think this is surely one of the great encouragements of of being part of a church community that God gives us. That that we have the ability to to watch the faith in our brothers and sisters and spur one another on by doing so. It's it's not in any way a competition. It's not not a a guilt-ridden thing. It's God showing, look at this faithful follower of Christ. That is the life that he calls for us all. And so we get to see areas of spiritual maturity in others that set an example for us. It's one of these great gifts in bringing us into the church that we are able to see that. Although I I do think, as I reflect on my own life, my own church experience, I do think it's something that we're not very good at. Um, Maybe maybe we keep it all very private. um, That we see the example of someone and think, I love how they pray. I love their passion for the gospel. I love how they seem to know Bible verses off the top of their head. I love that. Yes, I wish I could be like that, but no, I'll not ask them how they do that. I'll not seek to get to know them better, to understand their walk with Jesus so that I can uh, imitate them as they imitate Christ. And I think we're slow at doing this. I think we're hesitant at doing this. And of course, there's a rightness in that because if, if anyone wants to be held up as an example, then they, they shouldn't be an example. Uh, the, the, very, the very essence of chapter 2, the st- first half of chapter 2, was about being humble with one another. So this isn't a prideful, all right, let's get, let's get the top 10 this week up. No. It, but it is about recognizing, goodness, God is at work in my life. And I want to encourage my brothers and sisters in the joy that God is giving me. And the only way that I can do that is to show them and to share how that's happening. And so perhaps you're enjoying a good season of spiritual growth of consistency in your Bible reading, of joy in your prayer life, and boldness in in sharing Jesus with others. Small but significant victories over temptation. These are all signs of spiritual maturity. And maybe that is an encouragement, or maybe that is a a definition and a description of your life at the minute. Wonderful. Be encouraged at God's work in your life. And encourage your brothers and sisters by letting us know for, for those of us who are struggling under the weight of temptation, it'll be a great encouragement to know that God gives victory. It'll be a, a wonderful encouragement to those who have shared the gospel, it feels like countless times with the same people, to no response from our perspective, from what we can measure. It'll be a great encouragement for us then to hear, goodness, I've been praying for someone for 27 years, and they opened their hearts to Jesus. Wow, what an encouragement that is to me to keep praying. I'm not saying, goodness, well, you're the only evangelist in this place. No, but it's a wonderful joy of the Lord to show us 
is God works through us and in us and he encourages each of us as we share that work with one another. Now, now, as I say, we're hesitant to hold ourselves up in, in any kind of example in that way because I think we know ourselves all too well. Uh, and we know how fragile we feel in those times of spiritual growth. We know how vulnerable we are. And so we certainly don't want anyone to follow our example today because who knows how big a mess of things I'm going to make tomorrow. But, but, but that, that, that sense of... of the reason why we are good examples to follow is, as Paul has been saying here, it's about striving. It's not about saying I'm holding myself up as having this sorted. But it's about saying God is at work here. God is good. Let's praise him together and be encouraged in his work. And when I mess up, isn't it good to know his grace and his forgiveness and his compassion? And we do that together as well. And so, yes, we, we feel vulnerable, we feel fragile, so we don't want to be an example to follow. Maybe we also don't in any way want to be seen to take the credit for what God is doing in us. And so, so don't follow me, follow Christ. Well, yes, of course that's true. But how about you follow me as I follow Christ? God's Spirit is at work in me. I'm not in any way wanting to open the door, even a crack to let pride creep in here, to think that I have got this sorted so everyone else should live their spiritual life in the way I am. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, God's at work here. Come and see what he is doing. Taste and see that he is good and that this is the life he has for each and every one of us who love and trust in him. So I, I wholeheartedly understand these hesitations to, to, be want, to, to want to be an example to be followed. Some of those hesitations are very well founded. But if we always hold back, if we never let anyone else be encouraged by God's work in our hearts, then we all suffer as a community. If those of us who are slightly more spiritually mature than others, if we never come aside those, come alongside those who are, who are not as mature yet as we are, then I think we suffer as a community. We don't see the benefit of God placing us together for the purpose of building up his church. It's not just about building up one another, that will happen too. The that's a, almost a joyous byproduct of him building his church as we seek to follow him together. Look at these words from Ephesians 4. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, Christ's goal for his church is that it matures. And yes, as these verses show, he gives specific roles and specific individuals to equip God, his people for works of service so that that maturity comes. But the goal and the, the command to encourage one another, to spur one another on, is for all believers. And so our goal is maturity. Our goal is Christ. We press on towards that goal and we do so gloriously and graciously. He has given us one another to journey along with. So how are we doing in this regard? I think there's a couple of challenges here. If you're a follower of Jesus, which of your brothers and sisters do you look around in this place, but primarily if this is your spiritual home, if this is the, your church family, who do you look around and see as an example of godliness? 
And think about that corporately too. It's not just about one individual and seeking to mimic your whole life on that one person. But whose prayer life do you look at and think, what an encouragement? Whose love of scripture do you look at and think, wow, that, that's an example to be followed? Whose willingness to serve others do you think is, is admirable, is, um, is imitatable? As they seek to follow Christ, who do you want to draw alongside to follow? And follow their example as they do so. And so that's one challenge. Who, who is setting an example among us that, that we wish to, that we see Christ in and therefore wish to learn from? And the second challenge is, is more pointed, I think. Essentially, it boils down to, goodness, am I living a life of faith that would be helpful for others if they imitated it? Are we maturing? Have we matured in our faith in a way that would be of benefit for others to follow? In essence, it goes, are we setting a good example for those around us, those brothers and sisters around us? Going back to what we looked at last week, are we pressing on with the Lord? Are we forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, with our eyes fixed on the prize, and therefore setting the example that Paul sets here to say, follow me as I follow Christ? Therefore, the challenge is, are we diligently, faithfully, obediently following Christ so that others can follow us as we do so? We, we recognized this last week, didn't we, that maybe our following of Jesus has stagnated. Maybe it's become routine and dry. And the encouragement from God's word is to allow God's grace to pick us up, to confess what needs to be confessed, and to strive for him again. To start running that race with perseverance. And so there's a couple of challenges there. Who is setting an example for us in that good and godly way? And actually, are we setting an example for our brothers and sisters that is worthy to be followed? And just one thing to, to mention before I move on. I imagine most of this example setting and example following, I imagine most of it would be informal. You know, we just, we just observe someone's life and think, okay, this is not incredible, that's brilliant, I love that. Christ is at work in their hearts and that's an encouragement to me. We learn so much just by being together. But, but perhaps it would be beneficial to approach someone and say, can I, can I unpack what it means? Can you tell me how you develop that love for scripture? Can you tell me how you pray with such consistency when I hear you pray? Or whatever it might be, wherever, whatever area of your life that, they see a ref, that you see a reflection of Christ in, ask them, how did you nurture that in your faith? What, what has God been speaking to you about that could help me? So could I say, don't be too embarrassed to ask one another that. Equally, don't be too humble to miss the opportunity to invest in other people. Of course, please don't allow pride to take root as we do that, as we seek to engage in that genuine biblical practice of helping and encouraging and spurring one another on. But as we press on for the Lord, let's encourage one another by spending time with each other and helping them, therefore, to set an example that is worthy to be followed. And for, for the rest of our time together, I just want to, recognize that I think there is two things that Paul mentions in these verses. He's clearly demonstrating an example worthy of following. He has said that he is worthy of following. From verse 20 on, he picks that up again and explains why that his example is worthy of following. But in the middle, in verses 18 and 19, there's clearly an example to be avoided. 
And so there's this, there is a right example to follow and a very wrong one, which can lead to dire consequences. So Paul moves on in these verses to compare and contrast these two very opposite groups of people. And it seems to me to hinge on two phrases at the end of verse 19 and the start of verse 20, which show the comparison so clearly. So the end of verse 19 says, their mind is set on earthly things. And verse 20 begins, but our citizenship is in heaven. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is set in heaven. The example to be avoided is those who set their mind on earthly things. The example worthy of following is those who know and live as their citizenship is in heaven. I think there couldn't be a starker contrast. And that contrast is is elaborated on in, in the verses either side. So let's read verse 18 and 19 together again. For as I have often told, and it's not interesting that he starts with four. So he's just said in verse 17, follow my example. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have said, and he goes on to explain this group who should be avoided as an example. Paul is clearly seen and has seen um, people who have set and followed an, a bad example, which has taken them from the faith. And so he's saying as a, as a precaution, as a warning, follow our example because I've seen this go badly. For as I have uh, often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. This is, this is strong language for us, isn't it? And it maybe even feels uncomfortable to read these words, but it is necessary for us to, to know and to be aware of these words because they show the state of those who are living without Christ. Indeed, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And because of that, their destiny is destruction. Their lives are lived with earthly pleasures and desires ruling their hearts. That's what's at the heart of that phrase there. Their God is their stomach. And although they may enjoy some level of earthly prosperity or of earthly success, their sin will ultimately find find them out. Their glory is in their shame. And as sin finds them out, they are then cast into an eternity of righteous judgment. These are are sobering thoughts, and indeed they are thoughts that drive the Apostle Paul to tears as he thinks of these folks. And this is the state of all of us before we know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This is why Christ came, to rescue us from this thing, rescue us from sin, to remove the stain of sin that is on us. Even while we were his enemies, he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And to help us see the wonder of salvation, we need to see what we are saved from, and it's this. It's a destiny of destruction. It's living with uh, our stomach, our, our, our inner desires as our God, small g. And therefore, it is an eternity of judgment. That's what we're saved from through the cross of Christ, and he saves us to a wondrous new life we'll come to see but these verses show us the need for salvation because of the dreadful state that we find ourselves in before and without christ but as part of the argument that paul is making here of showing us what a life without christ is like he's also explaining that it's possible to be deceived into following an example like this Perhaps he has in mind those Judaizers who we met a couple of weeks ago at the start of chapter 2, those who had come into the Philippian church and sought to distort the gospel into no gospel at all. 
saying that to be truly saved, you have to do this, this, and this. And any gospel that adds anything to Jesus is no gospel. It is not good news. If I have to start ticking boxes and live a certain way in order to earn salvation, that's not good news for me because I fail. In my own effort, I can't do anything. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that he saves by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that is good news. Because I do, all I need to do, quote unquote, all I need to do is lay my whole self before him. Claim him as my saviour and Lord. That is the true gospel. So perhaps Paul is thinking of those who have come to distort this gospel. They are enemies of the cross of Christ because they have added or taken away from the cross of Christ. I think whoever Paul has in mind here, the message for the believers is clear. And so it should be clear to us today as God continues to speak through his word. Be careful whose example you follow. Be careful whose example you follow. Following the example of faith, of anyone who's not leading you to follow Jesus more faithfully, will distract you from Jesus. So be careful who you follow. Anyone who doesn't echo Paul's words from verse 10, I want to know Christ, or verse 8, I, I count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. If Christ isn't someone else's goal, they're not worth following. And, and I would say that here, even, even to, to, to just sound a note of caution, in terms of the, the plethora of really good and helpful Christian resources there are out there, there are also some that look good, but at their heart might not be. So be careful who you read. Be careful whose podcasts you listen to. Be careful what church you sign into to watch. Just, I'm not, not wanting to pick out, I'm certainly not wanting to name names here because there's none in my mind. I'm just saying, be careful. Paul is saying it is possible to follow a bad example, even one that might look good on the surface, but at its heart, if it doesn't have Christ, then it might not be good for you to follow. It will not be good for you to follow. And so Paul has shown us here this, this bad example, this example to be avoided. And then, like so often throughout the New Testament, we have this wonderful but. This but of verse 20 interrupts, it interjects with hope into this hopeless situation where destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, they have their minds on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And this might sound strange to bring in this language of citizenship. How does that have to do, what does that have to do with the example that someone is setting? Well, I think it is so helpful, actually, because it shows the fullest appreciation of what it means to live as a Christian in this world. So the example to be avoided is those who set their minds on earthly things. The example that is worthy of following is those who understand their citizenship is in heaven. And it's in heaven that we know our eternal home is secure. It's in heaven that we now await a saviour in verse 20. And it's his return from there will take us to be with him. Our inheritance is, is locked in because of what Christ has done. And so having our citizenship locked in by that saving work of Christ transforms the way we live now. And that's why this language of citizenship is helpful. We've actually seen it already in, in, verse one, in chapter 1, verse 27, that we keep going back to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's actually the same root language as citizenship. Conduct yourself as a citizen of the gospel, essentially. Conduct yourself in a way where your lifestyle is ruled and controlled and you sit under the authority of the gospel. Therefore, to live as a citizen of heaven means we know who our true king is. We live in this world now under his rule and authority. And so our lives reflect him. That's why then anyone who's living with their sure assurance, sure assurance, their assurance 
of their citizenship in heaven, their life will be faithfully following, bent towards that, straining towards that, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what ahead. That one thing they do is pressing on towards home. And that's in stark contrast, isn't it, to verse 18 and 19, where we see so much focus on the earthly life, that their God is their stomach. They live with their minds on earthly things. But those who faithfully follow Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. And then Paul just goes on in a couple of verses to celebrate the glory of heaven. We await a saviour from there who will take us to be with him, transform this lowly body of ours into his glorious body. And so however big a struggle it might be in this temporary world to follow Christ, know that our lowly, humble bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. That is the, that is the goal that we strive for until we cross the line. And in summarizing these verses, I was really helped by Stephen Lawson as he challengingly, yet I think truthfully said these. We must never forget that each of us who name Jesus as king live as a citizen of a higher kingdom. This world is not our home, but as we live out our days here on earth, we must maintain a greater allegiance to our sovereign Lord who is seated at the right hand of majesty on high. We must never cave in to the surrounding pressures to squeeze us into the mould of this rebellious world. Instead, we must set our minds on things above, not on things below. We are heading for the finish line. We are headed for home. That is where we belong. We must run hard for until our king returns or until he calls us home. That's a life of pressing on. That's a life of striving for the goal. That's the life that Paul lived. That's the example he set for us. And that's what he's calling his readers in Philippi to imitate. And indeed God, I think, is calling us to live exactly the same way. Pressing on towards the goal. Setting an example for other believers that's worthy to follow. Because we follow Christ. Indeed, that's why he finishes in chapter for uh, verse 1 therefore my brothers and sisters you whom I love and long for my joy and my crown isn't that wonderful language again we see how much Paul treasures the Philippian church here I long for you I love you I long for you you are my joy and my crown stand firm in the Lord in this way he doesn't want any of these Philippians to falter in their faith he doesn't want their feet to to be shaken at all by the ever-changing landscape that we live temporarily on No, our citizenship is in heaven, so we stand firm. We follow Christ, knowing that he is our ultimate goal. We live as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And in doing so, we set an example that's worthy to follow. I I want to finish just by recognizing that that, that some of this sounds like it's all about us. Can I encourage this? Yes, it is a little bit about us, but this is all about Christ. We can only follow him because he's opened the way for us to do so. We can only live a life striving after his goodness in the strength that he gives. We can only know and and be assured of our eternal home because he has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. And so, yes, there are, of course, maybe things that each of us need to do. To, to, to confess before our Lord of ways in which we haven't followed Christ well, and ways in which we've let our pressing on just lose heart, lose momentum, 
because we have allowed other things to distract us. So of course there may be work for us to do in our lives as we seek to shake off the things that so easily entangle and the, the, the things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles. As we seek to press on, there may be things that we have to throw off, absolutely, and that might be painful. But we press on towards Christ and we shake off all of those other things in the strength that he gives. So as we think of of the example that we might be setting for others, please don't ever live your life of faith thinking about what other people think. It's not, all right, I need to be a better Christian so that other people think I'm a better Christian. No, follow Jesus more faithfully because he's great. He is worthy of it. It's where we're going. We press on towards him. So follow him faithfully. As you do, you will gracefully encourage your brothers and sisters. But the goal is him. The prize is him. I want to know him. Everything else is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So live your life for him. And as you do so, the rest of us will thank you and cheer you on. As you set an example worthy to be followed. But, but we'll cheer you on because, you're cheering, because we cheer Christ. I hope that's clear because I think that's certainly what is at the heart of Paul. He's saying, follow me, yes, but only because he's imitating Christ. And so may God help us to do this. May God help us to live a life that is so striving for him that he gets the glory that he's due because of all of the saving work that he has done in our hearts and lives. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the privilege of being part of your body, your universal body, your church. And therefore, as, as part of your church, Father, we have the joy of encouraging one another, of spurring one another on. And, and so I pray that as we do that, Father, you would help us. Lord, indeed, for those who, who know and love you dearly, would you help us, Father, to, to live more, more faithfully and obediently to your word? Would you help us to, to demonstrate that life of, uh, of surrender to you and your will? Would you help us, Father, in essence, to forget what is behind, to strain what is ahead, and to press on in you? And God, we thank you, Father, for those of us who have been able to bring to mind those, those examples of men and women in the faith who have, who have set a helpful, worthy example to be followed. Of, of faithful prayer life, of, of diligent Bible study, of, of wonderful uh, evangelism and sharing you with others, of faithful discipleship in their home, in their workplace, whatever it happens to be. Father, thank you for giving us the gifts of these examples. Thank you for one another. Thank you for our brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to indeed spur one another on. Lord, that we would never be about building up and, and setting on pedestals individuals. Father, that you would be our only prize. You would be the one who we're fixed on. But Father, as we journey together through this life of faith, you would help us to see great encouragement in one another and from one another. Oh, we thank you, God, for your word to us. And I pray, God, that your word would ring true in our hearts and would transform our hearts by your spirit. So come, we pray, Father. Be exalted, I ask. Amen.